Do you remember how to start the show? I haven't been here in a while. I've been doing it while you were gone. You're the one who wouldn't remember. <laughs> I don't know. What is this bit? You're like, do you remember how to host the podcast you've been hosting in my absence? You better be ready for me to like just act like it's been even longer <laughs> than it's actually been. Because to me, it feels like it's been an eternity. Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 112. I'm your host, Evan Minto, spending all day doing my taxes. And with me, finally, he's back, folks. Back from paying his taxes. The boy has returned. We did all of the taxes. We did so many taxes. Oh, man, my taxes have been done for, for like a long time, actually. David is so good at doing taxes. He did everybody's taxes this year. Yeah, I did your Everybody, taxes. you're all good. I did my listeners' taxes. It's a Patreon. Your taxes, I did your taxes, I did your taxes. Didn't you know it was, it was, a, it was like a Patreon thing? Once we got oh, to a certain yeah, point. Oh, yeah, it's one like, of our Patreon. You know, I forgot that yeah, we put that on there. Yeah, if you... Yeah, if you give like just ten dollars a month, David will do all of your taxes for you. I can't, I can't promise that it's all gonna be kosher at the end, but <laughs> it'll be done. Yeah, David will do your taxes. We're not saying that David is going to accurately do your taxes. Mm. Yeah, just writes zero taxes owed <laughs> and sends it in. Income, yeah, one million. Thanks for the Patreon money, folks. <laughs> really putting it where it counts anyway yeah we'll be talking about what david has been up to in the two episodes that he has been gone i'll be talking about the game developers conference which i went to here in san francisco uh but before we get to that we got to talk about taxes that's right folks it is tax time and we have got some tax news for you yes psa you better be paying your taxes because if not you're uh oh man you're so boned much, much like UFO Tables president. <laughs> there you go. There we go. I was there waiting for you to do the, the transition I was, there. I was waiting for you to have a little sip of water. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you. So UFO Table, uh, wow. This is shocking. This is not what I expected to read when I clicked on UFO Table trend on Japan Twitter. Uh, UFO Table, the uh, animation studio behind such massive hits as Fate Zero and Fate Stay Night heavens feel the movies they are under investigation for tax evasion apparently the president has been siphoning some money out of their ufo table cafes in bundles of hard cash extremely good like he's just walking out of the cafe literally with the cash yes no he's literally walking out like he's just going digging through the register and wait so so, cash so can you can you walk me through just like what does this look like is this like the president, Mr. Ufo Table, shows up at the cafe, yes. and they go like, "Oh, uh, Mr. Ufo Table, Ufo Table Sama, uh, thank you, thank you for coming." And he walks in, and he goes like, "Let me see the register." And he takes the money out, and he walks out in like a briefcase where it's like, you know, it's like the briefcase is too full, and there's like yen bills kind of falling out yeah. of it while he's walking. Well, he's not. It's like that scene in Akira where Nezu grabs all the money. That's too obvious. Of course, he's going to sit down at the Ufo Table Cafe and have like a uh, lancer pancake with like the, yeah. the gay bowl like stuck through the pancake you know it sucks the lancer pancake is always the first one that runs out right anyway anyway well, yeah anyway <laughs> uh anyway this is pretty serious a lot of people are uh they're they're worried that this is going to somehow affect the third movie i really don't think it's going to affect the third movie of heaven's feel yeah wow sucks to be him but uh yeah you definitely shouldn't be screwing around especially in japan you know, where the laws are, I imagine that they're pretty serious. You know, there there was also the case, um, completely unrelated, but there was a case with the Yakuza actor, not the Yakuza actor, the uh, judgment actor who is done by the game that's done by the Yakuza team. Like he was caught with a little bit of cocaine and now <laughs> Sega is erasing his entire existence because that's what Japan does. When you get caught with drugs in Japan, you basically disappear from the entertainment industry to such a degree that they will completely write your character out and design a new model for your character if you get caught with you know, cocaine. When you we're saying yakuza there because you were talking about like crime i mm. it took me a little bit to realize you weren't yeah. talking about like a game produced by the actual yakuza you were talking about the yakuza no. games okay. well who knows <laughs> who knows evan we don't we don't know how far the the rabbit hole goes with yeah, the that's right. yakuza crime 
But yeah, well, anyway, is um, this guy going to jail or is he getting a fine under, or what? They're under active investigation, so right now it's like, uh, is he going to jail? Mm. Is he not going to jail? Um, he in just, any case, he all, yeah. he's just is being forced to actually staff the Fate Cafe. <laughs> he just has <laughs> yeah. to work there for a while. Right, it's like community service, except it's just like it's all—it's actually generating income for UFO Table. So I don't know like how it benefits the the uh, yeah exactly the, 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 yeah. Like, no, but it's yeah. it's actually it's community service in the form of just doing that. Uh, what's that show where they switch the boss and the worker? That like reality <laughs> TV show they do that for community undercover service. boss <laughs> undercover boss. <laughs> right. Okay, well, that's the that's your tax news, folks. Just a reminder, uh, do your taxes unless you want to end up like the fabulously wealthy, maybe, uh, president Likely. of the UFO yeah. table. <laughs> Likely, yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe that maybe the moral doesn't yeah. work out very well all there. This, all this fate shit has made like billions of actual dollars, so <laughs> yeah, he's probably doing okay. <laughs> all right, so David, got to ask, what have you been up to in the roughly a month that you have, uh, have disappeared from our listeners eardrums for one month i mean aside from scratching my own ass uh i started playing grand blue fantasy a that's one of the gotcha games yeah that's one of them stupid gotcha games apparently it's the fifth anniversary they call it gotcha games because they gotcha and then they don't let go and they don't let go see so like i felt like i was betraying fgo for a little bit because like grand blue is maybe i feel like it's its direct competitor it's the other one that I see people tweet about. So, yeah, that makes sense. This was never more apparent than when I like I pulled a Jeanne d'Arc today. But not Wait, even in like... In Grand Blue Fantasy? Yeah. So Wait, it's like... Yeah. They so have like her Grand in Blue that Fantasy. too? Yeah, Grand Blue Fantasy has I thought own... Fate invented Jeanne d'Arc. I thought that I was know, an original too. character, Do Not Steal. Yeah, me too. But then like Grand Blue has its own Janda arc. And not only that, it has like a, an evil Janda arc. So it's like it's Jalter basically. And, you know, like Fgo like doubly invented the evil version of Jan. Uh, I want to I meet the guy who thinks that uh, like all of the characters in Fate are entirely <laughs> original. Uh, like who came yeah. up with this uh, uh did they make a johnny appleseed one i don't know we i was that a joke we did no. or is that a real one no, <laughs> i don't they did, remember they did a paul bunyan one get that's your the one straight. that's the one yeah. <laughs> um it's it's really weird because they also have like some of the big like the the big big fate uh voices doing grand blue characters mm. and they are they all actually, in japanese yeah like grand blue is weird there's yeah, Grand Blue is like weird because like it has the English app, but it comes out uh, with the Japanese apps. So, like whenever they do updates, it's like at the same time. It's not its own thing. You can just switch the language on the fly. Um, but what was really weird to me was seeing that they were doing a gotcha uh, for some characters that are voiced by the, <laughs> by like like you'd see like Saber's voice and Rin's voice, and I'm like, guys uh you got any better ideas that haven't like already been done because i think i think those fate guys already got like these two yeah i mean sure but also if they're i assume that they're probably like well-known actors right so they probably just get a lot of work yeah but it's just like it's kind of like like putting them together it's like you're in the 90s and you're like really guys really you're also gonna have this girl voiced by megumi hayashibara come on be a little (laughs) original here (laughs) No, but it's like when you put her together with um, who did she voice? I forget. Was she Oscar or was she Ray? Megumi Hayashibara was Ray. Yeah. Then who was Oscar? I don't remember. I don't know much about voice actors. I just know her because no. she's she was so well, yeah, huge no, in the nineties. That's like that's kind of a good comparison because it's kind of like having the voice of Ray and Oscar in your gotcha when somebody sure. else's gotcha has that, and they're like the ones and that like did that it first. Pairing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I have no idea what the fuck is going on in Grand Blue. I'm like, I just started playing because I wanted to do some roles. You know, it's very confusing. There's Grand what? Blue Fantasy, and then there's Grand Grand Blue Dreaming. Yes, which is a show and a manga about. I think it's about diving or swimming or something. But there's like, it's like, what if you could swim in the ocean and there were hot girls? I think that's the premise of it. But uh... I don't remember. Yeah, I, I probably didn't watch that one. <laughs> yeah, Grand Blue is confusing. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. I, I got some good roles, but 
like i don't know if it's for me it it's the the ui feels kind of primitive there's like there's way too many clicks i do like that you can kind of like log in from anywhere because it's a browser game oh that's cool wait it's entirely in the browser yeah i mean you can play it in the browser you can play it in the app oh Uh, yeah okay you can do both like there is a separate app right it's not entirely browser yeah okay um the art's nice as someone who like does web development that's always cool when the game is playable in browser it's like it's got nice bits but you know when i hear about like late game where it's like very grindy and you'd like need certain pulls where it's like the gotcha is like necessary i'm not into it as much kind of like like to just find my own way through it um i don't know and i think the anniversary thing is over that's actually how I was able to like get so many good characters at once because the anniversary is all like you know it's like the crazy like free rolls all day every day yeah yeah but that ended today so now I'm kind of thinking like well FGO's got an event going on I better hop on on that uh, probably not your, gonna stick with you're it. back on your bullshit Lord help you yeah you're like uh, Grand Blue was probably like a tryst more than like. Uh, yeah, you, you cheated. Like you cheated actual... on, on Fate for a little bit. Well, yeah, because like, I haven't been pulling anything good in like forever, so I yeah. don't... Yeah. Look, the sex life hasn't been so good. You gotta... <laughs> I need some of... action. Yeah, you needed some, I need needed some, some action yeah. from a different game. Fair enough. As for me, uh, I, I have been playing some games. Uh, namely, I finally... I was kind of like looking at my list of games that I've got, and... You know, I, I have that like curse where I have to treat everything like a like a sequence that has to be completed in order. So I actually yeah. didn't do it in this case uh, with this like franchise, but I'm playing The Witcher 3. I did kind of basically skip The Witcher 1 and 2. I think I tried to play The Witcher 1 a long time ago and I, I couldn't really get through it. Um, but I'm basically just like trying to get through it because I have other games and I would like feel bad if I didn't play through more of The Witcher 3 before moving on to other games. Uh and yeah, I've I forget if I've talked about it on the show. You probably a couple of times. By yeah, now. maybe this is the <laughs> third time I've tried to play it. What from and, like starting over? No, no, it's like the same the same playthrough. But I just like kept kind of opening it back up and being like, all right, I'm going to try this. And at no point in any of the three playthroughs, except for maybe like maybe right now I'm starting to like it. But like at no point have I been like really excited about no, it that's a game that like a lot of people are super excited about but it's yeah like people really liked it it's very up my alley right it's like an open world western rpg fantasy rpg the thing is especially post breath of the wild it's really hard to play a game like that that is so obsessed with sort of like D esque stat crunching oh well whenever it's like an rpg thing it's like i can imagine you just kind of sign off just not you're not there anymore it's not for you. I had never really gotten into that kind of RPG where you're doing like tons of, you know, looking at the stats, right? I like the sort of action adventure parts. I like I like the story aspects of RPGs, right? Like, you, you know, you making just don't like to develop choices. as a as a character. <laughs> I like to develop the character as a, you know, personality and stuff, but I not, not I, like as like one more point in Dex, one more point in in t- I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's in, a little more, uh, my opinion of it is a little more nuanced <laughs> than that, right? Because I, I do actually enjoy kind of like a certain level of, of doing that, but usually not at the level of like the actual numbers. Like, uh, like I think the Fallout system works pretty well for me where there's only a couple numbers you actually really think much about. I guess there's like, there's the skills and things. Uh, but like the most fun part of leveling in a Fallout game is the, what are they called? The perks? Oh, Yeah. Because that's like these things that aren't like you're not just going like, oh, well, this is actually, you know, a 5% increase to this. You're just looking at, I mean, some of them are kind of like that, but they're sort of like packaged up into these like maybe these like concepts, right? Where it's maybe it has like two different effects and they're kind of related to each other and they have a name on them, right? Like it's not just uh, just like tweaking these little numbers here and there. The Witcher, though, is full of tweaking numbers. It's like, okay this stat increases your like uh oh, what are they called like your not a whatever it's like adrenaline points and there's some other thing stamina it's like your stamina will now increase uh 0.5 
seconds faster. Oh, or not something. even like a whole thumb. Yeah, like exactly. A <laughs> fraction. Yeah, and it's like, oh, the next level of this, it increases one second faster. It's like, okay, all right, cool, all right. I guess. Yeah. Right. So you're just doing these like marginal increases, and so I, you can't really feel like I don't. I can't really feel the difference between any of the changes I'm making, right? Because they're all so minuscule. So that's, that's one what part. some people like. They I just guess. like 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 the incremental change over like a hundred hours. Right, 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 and feeling like you're sort of slowly getting stronger. It's right? also just generally that what real a kind life of is clunky. About? It's generally a kind of clunky game. Yeah, also. like real like, life is clunky. <laughs> like real life is about like just you know, trying to burn through the clunk so that you can like get to the good bit. Yeah, honestly, I'm. That's a part that I'm very surprised about. Is like just the controls themselves feel really like sluggish and clunky and weird. <laughs> But the game looks beautiful, right? So it's like this thing where I just, I have to wonder whether it's just because it's like kind of coming from, like maybe it's just that that team and that studio is like a little different. Like they've been making these games for a while. So I don't know if it's kind of like just a holdover, you know, how like sometimes games will have that. Like you, what, you like know that Project well from CD like, or whatever the yeah, heck they're called? Yeah, CD Project Red. I mean, you, oh. you, you know from like Resident Evil, right? The way that like a franchise can sort of hold over these like weird mechanics and stuff. Yes. So I wonder we if love them that. for it. <laughs> Be- because like, a, you know, as, as much as we sometimes will rag on like Assassin's Creed games and stuff, like the, those games are like pretty tight controls wise, right? Like they're not like, they're not like The Witcher where you're sort of like stumbling around trying to like, you know, trying to interact with a bush and it's like he keeps first turning yeah. the wrong way. Like they're supposed to be action games. Yeah, that's true, right? Because they're more more directly trying to be action games, and uh, not... like Witcher's like more of an like a Western RPG. Yeah, it actually feels in some ways like a like playing a Bethesda game, where it's sort of like a little weird and you know just like slightly buggy in weird ways. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I people really like it for the story. Almost every time that I've seen someone talk about like the combat being annoying. Or the the controls being annoying, people are like, yeah, but it's worth it for the story. And the story is interesting enough. There's some like, <sighs> you know, it. I, th- I think the thing that people like about it, which I do appreciate, and I I think I w- will appreciate the more that I play through it, is that it has like very detailed side quests, and a lot of the quests kind of like relate to each other. So you can do like a side quest in one place that you know will impact something in a different part of the world in a different section of the story sort of uh, like the thing that nerds love a living breathing world right right i mean like mass effect is a, a really like prominent example of that right where like a one-off line to a character and the citadel will affect something like two games later right mm-hmm. uh and also like something i do like about it actually that i've uh at least read about i don't think i've had it happen to me yet is like quests can actually expire which is pretty cool mm. So you can actually That's like terrifying. A, a character can say like come to this uh, place at this time or something. And if you don't come there, then like the, the quest might expire. It kind of depends no on the quest. Platinum trophy for you. Right. I think that's kind of cool, right? Because it's like if you if you choose not to do it and you choose to do something else, like there should be an actual choice there. Right. Games usually for me, don't make you choose. For me, that's a level of realism way too far, <laughs> where it's like hundreds of hours to work towards one trophy just gone in an instant. I don't care about the trophies, right? I mean, I, I care about nah, like, who cares experiencing about trophies, really? the world. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't really like play console games too often anyway. So like trophies for me, it's whatever. I don't care. <laughs> But yeah, they're the, like the serious the like real, trophy fiends. The real the trophy world. is the game you played along the way. Oh God, I like I'm haunted by this line everywhere yeah, I go. Everybody likes that line. <laughs> everybody thinks that line is really funny. I know I say that as someone who just did it as a joke on the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we should move on. We should we should talk about the goddamn convention. Yes, GD I, w- convention. I went to I went to GDC GDGD convention. Yeah, Grand Blue Convention. Uh, that was it's a B, but whatever. <laughs> 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 No, it's what the kids do when they like they substitute the B a letter for other for, letters. Like, a, yeah, a, a B emoji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to the game developers conference in San Francisco, where I live, so it was very convenient. It was also completely last minute. Uh, I work freelance right now, so I kind of had a somewhat slow week, and I was like, you know what? All right, I can justify this. Like, I'm gonna Just do some casually, coverage. Yeah, casually pop into GDC. Yeah, so I signed up. I did an on-site press reg. So I didn't even, I didn't plan this at all. I literally just showed up with my business cards and I was like, I'd like to cover the convention, which worked out. 
uh, some anime conventions don't let you do on-site reg, I think, for, I, for press. I but. think I've done maybe one, and it's like... Genericon? I think it was Genericon. Genericon. Yeah. It's not... <laughs> I remember that. Like, pretty much all anime cons that I've, like, had to, like, register for, it's way in advance, and there's no way to get in once it's, like, a certain amount of days before the con. Yeah. Uh, so, GDC... I think I talked about it last year, but last year I didn't actually attend it. I was kind of just hanging around at parties outside of it, which is what party you know, Minto people in San Francisco will do, right? Uh, party party comes around. Look, I'm not a big party guy, but I, I party, go to, to GDC party, party sometimes. Party party. So I actually have I have a, a very funny party story coming up, but yeah, party animal. But GDC is, first and foremost, the, the main thing to note for anybody who's not familiar with it is this is not a consumer convention. This isn't a fan convention. It's not like PAX or no, anything like it's that. It's a goddamn developers convention. That's right. It, yeah, it's a professional convention for developers, which means it costs a shit ton. It costs so much money to attend. It costs money. Yeah. To I, not be poor and <laughs> want to go to GDC. The maximum, the maximum ticket price to get you into like you know all access access to everything you, know, you can go to all the expo halls and the sessions is i think twenty five hundred dollars you can get like a grant <laughs> to go to gdc yeah you could like there's oh my god it's so much it's so i can't even it's think so, about it it's so exclusive it's like wow i want to be there <laughs> so, so some people do actually get like scholarships like students and stuff will get scholarships to fund their tickets uh to gdc and also like Willy Wonka's golden ticket. Yeah. Also the reality, like the reason why it costs so much, right. Is because most people working at like a major studio, the, the studio just pays for their tickets, right. To send them there. Yeah. That's like that. That's the way these professional conventions typically work. They're, they're priced to basically just like gouge these studios for as Good. much money as they can get. Good. It's like not, it's not like the studios are paying the workers anyway. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're skipping down my list here, but speaking of, uh, game workers unite was pretty active at GDC this year. They basically started at last year's GDC, or at least that was like the first time when they were active. And I believe we talked about them last year. This is the group that is trying to promote game industry unionization. Last year, they basically showed up at a, panel run by or i think a round table run by the igda and and i think there were like game workers unite people there who basically were like pushing igda to support a union right and we're and the igda person that's the international game developers association which is sort of like an industry advocacy group but not necessarily a workers advocacy group they were kind of like the rep from IGDA was kind of resistant to the idea of game dev starting a union and the the GW people and a bunch of other developers in the room were sort of like actually this would be a very good idea we are being like horribly <laughs> mistreated and uh, it's really cool to see in just a year it went from that to GWU had multiple panels throughout the weekend instead of having like an IGDA like should we or should we not have unions here are the cons of having oh. a union like this year there was oh, I didn't get to go yeah. to it but there was like a a round table I think run by GWU that was about like okay Gee let's woo. talk practically about how we're going to start a union right GWU <laughs> rise up game developers yeah and the, no more rise up gamers <laughs> fuck you gamers rise up game developers <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're we're co-opting the rise up culture. Yeah, I think I also saw a stat that, or I, this is offhand, someone mentioned a stat that like sixty percent or something of game developers in some poll support unionization. Kickstarter workers are trying to unionize, which is like would be a a first, I think, for like a tech company. So I feel like it's gonna happen. Like it, everybody I talked to seemed pretty in favor of it. Like, I didn't really hear anybody, like, grumbling about, oh, people are talking about a union. Like, obviously, like, management was probably grumbling about it, right? But I just, I didn't really hear anybody saying anything bad about starting a union yeah. at GDC. I think before a union is even feasible, like, somebody has to be just be turned into a horse, and then yeah. we can have a union. No spoilers, David. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually start... They start the union before the horses happen. <laughs> but anyway, oh, I thought they. But I thought they were getting like, 
I thought that they had a rat inside to like fuck up the union, and then they had to get turned into a horse and rebel. Maybe, maybe that might have been what happened. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely a really cool part about GDC. I got to go to one of those GWU panels, which had people. It had reps not just from GWU, but from like existing unions, from SAG-AFTRA, from the Writers Guild, from the AFL-CIO, which AFL-CIO has some of their own issues, but it's still cool to see like traditional union support for it. In addition to that, I did get to go to some of the sessions, which are, they're, they're I mean, David, you and I are both like, we have like game development experience, right? So I think it's like probably the sort of stuff that in, in a lot of cases is not that interesting to an average player of video games, right? No. I mean, in some cases, not a loot box. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In some cases, they're like behind the scenes, kind of like you know how we made this thing, which are like those ones are pretty cool. Ah, postmortems. Yeah, like so those ones can be really interesting for someone playing the game. So I went to like an animation. Not I don't know if they called it a postmortem. I forget the the name of it, but it was an animation talk about how they did the animation. Or I went to two different ones. One of them was about the animation in God of War, and the other was about the animation in Spider-Man. Spider-Man? Spider-Man's a movie. This PS4 Spider-Man. We talked about it on the podcast. Oh. Yeah, so those ones are pretty cool, right? They talked about kind of how they used the mocap. And uh, actually, I should I should pull my notes out. Just some, some quick hits. Is anybody those. even, like, not animating with mocap ah. it, i feel like everything is just mocap now so that's really interesting i i, I was taking some notes about that because it was a kind of a it was just an interesting thing that got mentioned a couple times is the sort of contrast between the mocap and keyframe animation yeah who's like doing artisanal keyframes for uh for studios these I days i mean so so mocap still requires keyframe animation right so you so you still need to correct the mocap with with like hand keyframe stuff i I guess it depends on the budget and the release date like who's gonna go in there and like no you pretty much have to things raw raw mocap is like not usable in like a production (laughs) scenario you know what raw mocap looks like david gets pretty you know what raw mocap looks like i imagine it looks like pretty uh gd gd fairies it's literally naria girls the whole show is just that it's like uncorrected (laughs) mocap mocap is motion capture i guess maybe we didn't establish that at the beginning here or or, or actually like uh good good fairies is like an old reference i guess i gotta say like it looks like uh uh kaguya luna or uh the the i chan girl i channel i don't know if that's uncorrected actually the uh, virtual youtuber keys in the eye i'm not sure well, probably when she's doing like music videos, but not when she was doing the, the Resident mm. Evil Seven stream. Like when the streams are done, I think that's just like as raw as it gets. Okay, I'm looking at my notes here. So one of the things that they mentioned about God of War actually was that it was the the old games were ninety percent keyframe animation. And in this case, they went way more on the motion capture side, right? I, I haven't played God of War, yeah. actually, but, you know, what I've seen of it, right? I mean, it's a super, like, cinematic kind of modern AAA game. But they talked about how they added, like, a lot of keyframe animation on top. They pointed out specific scenes where they used keyframe animation. And specifically, I've heard this a couple times from people. They, they mentioned, like, the fact that the mocap was sort of a shortcut for especially for like emotional scenes where they wanted to like have a live actor perform them and it was a way of like getting the rough blocking and stuff in and then they could uh, the way they put it like they they showed some scenes i think some of the really big like like especially the action scenes that that you just couldn't like mocap right it's like kratos and i forget his name the sun like climbing a cliff face while a monster attacks them or something like those scenes they had to keyframe and and they were you know you were talking about like who has the budget or the time for it they specifically said using mocap to kind of get us most of the way there on the emotional scenes and then do a little bit of keyframe on top freed up the keyframe animators to spend more time really polishing the those like action scenes and things like that so it's like you know it is still useful i think from like a a budget perspective definitely one of the things they talked about in there was also the kind of grounding a lot of the animation for it compared to the old god of war games which is not surprising right those games are like a lot more cartoonish looking ps2 well, also just that if you look at the animation and the the art style and everything in general, right? The older God of War games are definitely more cartoony, and right because the that's new what one is look, not. That's what would look good on a PlayStation Two in the time. Yeah, yeah. 
So just a lot more exaggeration, like less less realism there. Yeah. So the the, the Spider Man one, there wasn't a ton of like stuff. I think that that super jumped out. But I'm I'm planning on writing these up because there's there's lots of like little interesting bits in them, right? Uh, that's probably just easier to convey in an article than me listing all of it off. But just like little pieces of trivia about kind of their process and stuff. They did also mention though, because this came up in like a lot of the animation talks. They were like mocap is not everything like we definitely did keyframe on top like people kind of mentioned that a lot so i i don't think mocap is like the whole thing they they're not doing mocap for literally everything yeah i think that's a <laughs> at least like when i was playing resident evil 2 like i had like a strong feeling that a lot of things were just mocap like very obviously mocap and yeah. it was kind of to the point of distraction i think it's fine in a sense, because these games are getting so much more like the character models are getting so close to being like real people that it uh, kind of it's like at a certain point, it's not it's just it's just not practical anymore. Like you're the performance that you're trying to do is much closer to the performance you would get out of a real actor. Like the thing you're aiming for is mm -hmm. closer to a yeah. real actor's performance. So you might as well use a real actor's performance. You're still going to need to do a little on top of it. But like why? It's just this really roundabout way of doing it unless you're going for something that is not realistic. But then if you were doing that, like, why would you be rendering these hyper-realistic <laughs> character models, right? It's just the... Uh, I wouldn't even say it's, like, the taste of the times because gamers have always wanted hyper-realism. Oh, even yeah. Even if it looks just <laughs> fucking ugly as sin. I think the question of should games be hyper-real is, like, a different one from what, when you're making a hyper-real game, should you use mocap? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So... The ethics of hyper-realism <laughs> in video games. Actually, That's yeah. GDC Speaking panel. of, that was kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Another kind of session that I, I focused a lot on was, was I was kind of, like, looking into talks and and roundtables around sort of the ethics of game development and game design and especially a, an interest of mine that I was kind of investigating was accessibility because there were a couple accessibility talks and I definitely I, I found it really interesting like the kinds of conversations I was hearing around around like the ethics of games so there was obviously things like accessibility so making games that can be played by people of various abilities right people with disabilities but also just like making them easier for everybody to actually be able to play there was definitely there was stuff about like representation and mental health and like the way that games can sort of cater to like tell tell people's stories in terms of mental health and things like that and, and diversity i didn't get to go to enough diversity ones specifically but i did go to one that was about disability representation which is kind of related to both the kind of diversity representation angle and the accessibility angle run by one of the very few people who is a like professional accessibility expert in games. Someone mentioned to me, I don't professional. Yeah. I don't I, like, I don't have an actual stat on this, but, but this is like an offhand thing where someone was like, yeah, there's like 11 people in the entire game industry who work as accessibility, like consultants as their main job, which is as like, in, in terms of interfacing with the game or like it means it means that the they game? are it's a, yeah it's it's the interface of the game so it's people who sh who okay. are like confirming that the game can be played by people with disabilities and you know things like colorblind modes are right. working correctly or, or yeah. there at all i feel like it'd be like way harder to gauge what goes into your content no and... the content thing is is a broader question that like that's yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that you, I mean, that's you can't like audit that exactly. But people do have things like like sensitivity readers and stuff, right? Where you have somebody like, you know, kind of read your story or play your game or something to like confirm that you're not being accidentally racist or something or just like insensitive right. to somebody. <laughs> right. Which is like, an equivalent to that. Right. And that definitely was a thing that came up where like a couple times where people were like, make sure that someone, you know, if you're making a game about like any identity that isn't you like have somebody of that identity play it before you release it to confirm that you're not being a fucking idiot right that kind of reminds me of like oh man wasn't there there was like a game recently announced that was like uh colonial yeah, 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 era yeah, yeah, yeah. america <laughs> it's it's so fucked up it's from, it's from amazon or something like it's from that. amazon's new game studio yeah amazon i, I think it's called new world and it is about being colonists landing on like a new world where there is no one there except for the 
population that has been like converted into zombies that you kill, which is like incredibly fucked up. Yeah. But they're like, it's classic, like, you know, just the way that they do this stuff where they're like, oh, yeah, but I mean, the, the people landing there are of all different ethnicities, so it's okay. <laughs> all right, we're safe. Yeah, okay, totally fine. Got then. all our bases covered. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, it's, this is rainbow colonialism, okay? Obviously, the question of ethics in video game content is uh, not fully answered yet by the game industry, uh, or it's yeah. answered by we're just going to be not ethical. <laughs> video games are unethical. But uh, you know what was another really interesting one I went to uh, related to that was an IGDA roundtable that was about censorship and kind of specifically about, uh, it was about censorship and game addiction and how the, you know, there's there's pushes now, we've talked about them on this show, where the you know governments are trying to uh, restrict kind of like what they call gambling in games, which is kind of it, it is right. I mean, like the the kind like of a loot good boxes idea. and stuff, right? And they're specifically framing it around game addiction, uh, in in some cases, right? And the IGDA roundtable was I was kind of raising my eyebrow during it because the people facilitating it were talking mostly about how they were like using China as an example, where they're like, oh, China wants to censor games because they want to lock up activists, which I was not 100% sure I was buying that uh, as like the ultimate reason why China is doing censorship around games. And uh, kind of using that to smear anybody trying to do any regulations around loot boxes in the US as being also motivated by this like desire to control free speech or something and like i think there's validity to like trying to stop censorship but it, it became very obvious that what was going on was just an attempt to protect the game industry from any china any kind of um censorship or or regulation of any sort without addressing the fact that like maybe actually people are making games that have a negative effect on people <laughs> Right, like sort of trying to ignore that aspect of it and be like, yeah, game addiction is made up. It's not real, right? And what I thought was interesting is it was some of the developers in the room who chimed in and they were like, hey, I mean, we're designing these games. Like we we are thinking about how our players are interacting with them. And like, we know that this isn't good. Like we know what we're doing. That is such such a take to be all like loot boxes are good because China is doing something about it. (laughs) Don't be like the Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Buy loot boxes. And yeah, it was, it was interesting to me and kind of tied into that, that, you know, the story right now about unions, that it was like the rank and file developers who were like, I mean, someone said like, I don't really want to build this, but uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it's like, but I mean, our bosses want us to build them because they like, that's what's going to make them more money. Mm. But like, we know that this is not healthy, even if it's not technically addiction, like it's not good to do this. Mm. And yeah, somebody, you know, people pointed out if we don't do it, like they're going to do it because <laughs> like this isn't good. <laughs> and I think there's kind of like a little bit of an implicit thing there, pro- probably among some developers. That's kind of like, if we don't, regulate if we don't self-regulate then they should regulate us you know what i mean like 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 it would be morally right to regulate the industry if the industry fails to self-regulate yeah honestly like i play a lot of fco and even though i like i will probably play fco after we're done with the podcast like if tomorrow the news was like delightworks and aniplex were uh under tax evasion <laughs> accusations i the would not feel universe. one bit upset I would I would be I would be smiling for days on end. Yeah. I think yeah. I mean personally I think that yeah. It's it's just obviously not good what's going on, right? <laughs> I mean, I just anybody can can tell you that. Like it's the way that especially these mobile games are designed is is obviously trying to take advantage of people's kind of like psychological pathways to get them to yep. fall into addictive behaviors. And it's like, yeah, the people designing them know better than anybody, right? Cuz their whole thing is like designing fun experiences that people can't put down and it's one thing to do that in the service of making a piece of entertainment that you think people are going to enjoy which is what i think most game designers are trying to do and it's another thing when your boss is like okay let's make it 
as addictive as possible so we can make as much money as possible. Even if it's not fun, just make it addictive, right? Right. So I kind of wonder whether like unions might actually play a part in that, right? If, if the rank and file developers don't want to build things that they think are unethical, then maybe <laughs> if they had a union, they could push back against them. Okay, just uh, two more things. One of them I'll, I'll uh, briefly mention. I think I talked about it last time that we talked about GDC, but I did go to Lost Levels, which is a really cool unconference in the park outside of the convention that is not actually part of the convention, does not cost $2,500 to go to. And it's... Yeah, you just have to balance yourself on the lip of a pipe and then jump at the right spot of the block <laughs> to just clip through the, gra the graphics. <laughs> and then you'll be brought over to the Lost Levels. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a, just like that. And then you end up at the None of our listeners are old enough to know that. <laughs> None of them. Some of our listeners are older than us. So, I mean, maybe. Oh, maybe. Right? What, you just think we're only listened to by like 12-year-olds? Honestly, I feel like it's a, a rotating door of 12 to 14-year-olds <laughs> that listen to us. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lost Levels is basically a bunch of people in the park giving five-minute micro-talks with no central authority it's all like self-organized by whoever shows up yeah, fuck authority it's very cool it's very like anarchist i'm super into it authority sucks ass i, I mean i think there was probably a micro talk that was about literally that but if you want to know what all of the micro talks were as luck would have it there's an article on antigamers.com written by me where i summarized basically all the micro talks from lost levels 2019 and including the one that i gave which was about putting alt text on your dang images on twitter go and turn on uh enable image descriptions in the accessibility settings on twitter you have to turn that on yeah you do if you turn it on then you can write your image descriptions i gave a little micro talk oh. as a psa for all the extremely online people at lost levels yeah so anyway if you want to want to know more about that you can go read my article and finally, last thing that i did that is notable here is i went to alt control gdc and i went to the party that uh that they hold at the end of the convention which uh, i did talk about this i think last time i think i talked about the party because i went to that last year and played some of the games there so some of them were were at this one too alt control gdc is the alternative controller sort of section of and nothing GDC. to do with the webcomic absolutely nothing to do with it i mean the webcomic is also referencing alt control delete the like command on windows right but this is like <laughs> all control sounds like a mac thing not like windows i think thing. it's a windows thing though i feel like there's i feel like there's some like some mac bias in there mac mac people never press the control key dude we use command they do like they do like command option yeah yeah true anyway it's alternative controllers and it's like one of the coolest parts about the whole convention. It's probably the coolest thing other than lost levels, which is not technically part of the convention. Uh, so I played some of the games that were at the party last year that I probably mentioned, including line wobbler, which is amazing. A one dimensional dungeon crawler where it is a, an led strip that's programmed to have like the lights turn different colors. So you're basically navigating like a little green, a green light, up the led strip and then there's like red lights that are enemies and they move in all sorts of patterns and you can attack by like wobble you're using this little like wobbly joystick thing so you like wobble it to uh to attack and it's like super simple but tons of fun and they arrange it in different ways every time they set it up right so you can go like up a wall or like up in this in this case it went how like you, along the ceiling how do you manage your stats there's no stats it's just like one hit and you die and oh. you respawn in that uh that level it's like dark souls yeah yeah it's the, it's the dark souls of led strips <laughs> oh i'm so glad i got that in <laughs> uh anyway what are some other ones that i played i played uh, i played some more octopad which i think went by a different name last year it was called octopad it's called octodad yeah no this uh is different i talked about it last time it's the eight player nes controller oh that thing yeah so i played some more of that we played Mega Man this time dude mm. dude the funniest shit it was this group of eight people screaming at each other to try to get somebody to navigate the Mega Man menu to select like the metal shot or whatever <laughs> <laughs> just like no start start down down beat no no a a a down 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 <laughs> god that reminds me of like when like w people would do like those twitch plays yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's kind of like that some other cool stuff that I played, Tide Escape, The Curse of Cortez, 
which is a it's it's amazing it is like an indiana jones game so when they talk about like alternative controllers like they're not kidding this is a game where you are tied to a chair with another person to two chairs you're each tied to a chair and the chairs are tied to each other with another person and you're in the center of a circle with these pillars with like buttons with different like colored animal icons on them and a screen tells you which buttons you have to press, like in what order, or like two different ones at the same time. <laughs> and you're trying to like press one button with your leg while the other person stretches and presses another button with their leg. So it's like you literally wear like an Indiana Jones hat while you play it. So it's like you're trying to escape from like, uh, you know, you're tied up in a temple in an Indiana Jones movie. Great. Mm. Like a great concept for a game, right? Like a like would never you can't buy it and play it at home. Right. But it's like very no. fun. I played Ruins Climber, which is a basically like a tr- like a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a tracked racing game where you're you're racing somebody like up a up a wall and you can only be on like one of three tracks at any given time, right? And there's obstacles and stuff, and there's buttons to press to like turn, uh, you know, to move to left or right along the tracks. But the way that you move up is by pulling like a rope that's tied to a thing on the table. And it's like kind of like a loop of rope. So you're you're pulling it as if you're actually like climbing up the the wall. Very Oof. simple, like a kind of arcade game style thing. You could see it being so set up at an arcade. After like exactly one gamer, that rope yeah. is slippery oh, yeah. as hell. Oh yeah, it was it was it was kind of okay when I played it. But a little gross. Yeah, a little bit gross. The last two worth mentioning, I played Hot Swap, probably the one of the best ones that i played there uh you play as a like a pirate ship basically on like a spherical globe thing inaccurate right because the earth is flat but anyway (laughs) i almost let that one slip (laughs) so yeah you're a little pirate ship and you're like just you know moving around uh fighting other pirate ships and trying to like uh dig up uh sunken treasure right you play it co-op with someone else and you're both controlling the boat and you both have these little control pads on the on the table with these two slots in them. And each function of the boat is controlled by a different button, basically. There's these little custom buttons. So there's one that's for like, uh, you know, it's like a little wheel and it's for, for navigating it. There's one that like raises the sails where you have to like turn this this little thing, right? So they're all like different kinds of buttons. One of them puts fire out when your ship gets damaged. And also you each control like one side. So one person controls the left and the other person controls the right side. The twist is there's there's six buttons and they're these little like plug and play blocks and there's four slots. Each person has two slots, right? And you're sharing the buttons. So you need to, you know, it's like, okay, this person's steering. This person is like raising the sails and lowering them to change the speed. The other person's putting out the fire, but like, uh, you know, maybe putting out the fire and like, you know, pulling out the has a thing for pulling out the treasure from the, you know, the areas where the treasure is held. But like if you're doing that, nobody is loading or firing the cannons because there's no space to slot them in. Right. So you have to keep swapping them back and forth and like trading the buttons between oh. the two people, which is fantastic. It's like I love that kind of like wacky co-op game. Oh, bringing bringing back shapes yeah putting putting shapes into into holes it's honestly you can actually they were saying you can they're, they're going to release the schematics for it so you can 3d print them which seems difficult but you need a 3d printer yeah but i mean honestly if they <laughs> sold this thing if they like sold physical versions of it i'd probably buy it it's actually like a really fun party game i get like a board game it's it's a video game it's not a board game Oh, it almost sounds like a good board game. It. Uh, yeah, but it needs the part of the fun of it is that it's real time. You're you're controlling this like video game ship that's being attacked by enemies in real time, and you're you're swapping all this stuff. Man, that almost oh god, that probably has like nothing to do with it. But like, it kind of reminds me of like when games would be like full motion video discs, and then yeah. <laughs> you'd, like play a video, and then you'd interact with the control. I think like that was kind of the idea. Hmm. at one point where it's like yeah 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 see something on a screen and it's like you fiddle around with the device yeah the all control gdc stuff is is a a lot of it is kind of in that vein and this one is easiest to describe as like for anybody who's played it it's like a physical version of lovers in a dangerous space time which is a game that is (laughs) i would describe as a co-op version of ftl (laughs) so now i'm just like two levels deep in this uh this like metaphor (laughs) yeah uh, last one I'm going to mention is a kind of experimental one called the book ritual, which 
is very disturbing to me. It is a computer hooked up to a shredder and a pile of books on the table. And basically you pick a book in from the menu and it gives you this little conversation with the book. It's like a, you know, the personified version of the book. And it is sort of supposed to be like a story about like loss and dealing with, I just said loss. I didn't get far enough into it, but I think it's probably like talking about like losing a loved one. And the sort of physical metaphor for it is in order to progress the story, you are required to rip a page out of the book and put it in the shredder every time. <laughs> Mm. or like write in the book and like things like that and it's very disturbing to me as someone who cares about like preserving books yeah yeah <laughs> not for the book people in the audience yeah and i think it's deliberate right uh i talked to the dev it, it, he he wasn't specifically going for like skeeving people out who care about preserving books but it was very deliberate that you're like you have to destroy a physical thing in front of you in order to like you know progress this story about losing things <laughs> It would also, like, not matter as much if it was, like, some sort of, like, political autobiography thing or, like, some crackpot idea, like, flat earthing. Uh, flat earthing is not a crackpot idea, David, okay? <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually tried to maximize my level of discomfort by picking Lord of the Rings to rip up, which is... Oh. <laughs> I love Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. okay. Anyway... That's what I played at All Control GDC. It's very cool. I kind of would love to see some of these games make their way into like the general market. Like Hot Swap again would be super fun to play. Like Line Wobbler would also be cool on your Switch. If there were a way you could buy, how many of these games could go on your Switch? None of them. That's the whole uh, point. Be, they use alternative controllers. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Octopad maybe because you could probably hook up a bunch of Switch controllers. Yeah, but then it's like, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna deal with like the whole ROM situation? Can't right. can't uh, put Mega Man. Yeah, on that. part of the part of what's cool about Octopad too is I'm pretty sure the NES is unmodified. Like the only thing that's modified is the controller, so you could just play any NES game with it. <laughs> that's one that could get released, I guess. Right? That's like pretty easy. You just release an NES controller. Original game. <laughs> you just release like a USB NES controller. That is actually oh, controllers, yeah, yeah. right? That's pretty easy. Well, I'm pretty sure you could do like a whole Kickstarter for that and then just like fraudulently walk away with all the money. And you could do that with like, any Kickstarter that you want, be... right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's the beauty of Kickstarter. You just walk away with all the money right? without any punishment whatsoever. I think we hit the end of the GDC stuff. Uh, I, just, I think I have one more story here because you mentioned the parties, David. Parties. I went to a party that's not party actually Evan. a party called the Unparty unparty oh what do you guys just do just like sit around and watch the avengers on on tv <laughs> uh it was not that far off it was like that but no tv uh, okay it's supposed to be a break from all of the like really big you know loud drinking parties at gdc drink yeah party <laughs> <laughs> so it's where all the nerds go they're all nerds right i mean they're not all nerds there's like marketing people and stuff like that at gdc also I imagine the marketing people are more tired than the nerds. Yeah. <laughs> nerds don't get tired. Nerds have monster energy That's drink. That's true. They, don't, they just do not sleep and rest. So anyway, it is a... It's literally billed as, like, not a party. It is a room of people quietly sitting around talking about games and stuff and drinking tea. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. Like, I don't have any other plans tonight. This seems like more my speed. I don't drink. Right, like I, I go to par other parties where Party people drink, Evan. but I saying he doesn't drink. I go to like parties. Go drink tea. Look, I like parties. I just don't drink. I order a, a club soda and cranberry juice with lime. And there you uh, go. there's the Evan Minto. <laughs> that's right, the Evan Minto. I was like, okay, let, let me go try this thing out. I assume it won't be too crazy. I show up, line down the block to get into the unparty. No way, right? That's not that's not even an unparty anymore. Yeah, that's just so that yeah. Here's the thing: lots of Lots of people at GDC just like crawling around looking for any party they can get into. And there's like exclusive parties and there's public parties and everybody's trying to be like at whatever the coolest party is that night. Right. Which is stupid. But whatever. People are doing that. I was deliberately trying to go to the end party because I thought this sounds interesting and not like the coolest party of the night. And it ended up being the coolest party. And you're like, well, damn, that's the thing. I got get online. I start talking to people. And I'm like, are you guys like, what's up with this? And they were like, I don't know. I mean, it was just, it was on, on the list of parties. So I was like, this one seems cool. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know what this is, right? Like, I, don't, I don't know. It's like one of the parties. 
<laughs> right? So like they apparently uh... like didn't know what they were in for. Somebody comes out and they're like, "Look, we are like at capacity. We're letting people in as they as people walk out." And I just want to let you guys know, it's going to be tough for us to get you in. And also, this is not a party. This is like, this is people sitting around drinking tea. There's no alcohol in the building. So, I mean, if you want to drink, you should go to a different party. And <laughs> I kid you not, about half the line left. There you go. <laughs> they like all didn't realize what they were in for. That's wonderful. I mean, that is a, like a certain breed of party animal, though, where it's like just sees line goes yeah, online. Yep. That's not the end of this, David, because I walk in, they give me a, they, or they, they, they tell me the rules, which is if someone says, shh, then everybody else has to, you know, spread it around the room and everybody has to quiet down just like periodically during the party. We all have to quiet down. It's like an anime uh-huh. con room party. You just quiet everybody down. Don't disturb <laughs> the neighbors, which is great. Very funny. A good gimmick. But I don't know if they actually had to do it. Here's the best part. It's billed as a party where everybody's sitting around drinking tea right? I show up to the back. There is a folding table with a pitcher of cold water and a pitcher of hot water. And it is a bring your own tea event. No. <laughs> bring your own tea bag. No. Oh. <laughs> I am not complaining, oh, by the way. This. It's very funny and good. And I would go I back again this. next year. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> what I just hope That's... is that everybody else gets the memo because I want to go to a party where the only people who show up are people who are okay with a bring your own tea bag party. <laughs> like those are the people I want to hang out with. <laughs> You're still going to get people lining up expecting a party yeah. with alcohol. It's so that funny. Is... It's the ultimate own. Like if you actually imagine if you didn't know that and you got in and you were like, what the fuck? You'd have is to like this? share. You would have to like, you'd have to wait for somebody else's tea to steep and then just like <laughs> siphon the tea bag. <laughs> I didn't bring my own tea. I didn't know that. But I was just drinking water. It's fine. I drink water anyway no. at other parties. Oh, I can't believe you didn't even like ask somebody else where it's like share some tea. Have your tea bag. You please, look sir. Sufficiently please, steeped. sir. May I have some tea? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. That's it for me. That's my GDC report. I've got a question to read here. We did not do a call for questions this episode, I should say. I apologize. This, this is, is a all kind flash of... podcast. David called yeah. me up. He was like, Evan, uh, if I don't record a podcast right now, the bomb in this bus is going to explode. Starring Keanu yeah. Reeves. Yeah, Dennis Hopper just called. He said, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's all going to go to fucking hell if I don't just record a podcast right now. Yeah, at 60 miles per hour. I thought it was 55. Oh, it's probably 55. Well, what, I don't was, remember. What was it in 1995? It might have been 50. Oh, yeah. With inflation, we got to like compute it. Inflation. <laughs> yeah. Inflation for miles. <laughs> or miles worth back then (laughs) okay so we did we actually had one person ask a question though that was like not as part of our regular call for questions they just like threw it in which you can do anytime you want Uh, this is arametha on discord here's a question for the pod on gdc what panels do you recommend watching on youtube when they're added so out of the ones that i went to that's for you yeah i would say if you're just a just a regular ass gamer Something that would probably be interesting to you is, I mean, if you're curious about the unionization efforts, then then any of the Game Workers Unite stuff. I think the, there was a really good one on disability representation that I mentioned that was called, I think, You Can Take an Arrow to the Knee and Still Be an Adventurer. Great title, by the way. That one was pretty great and, and was like a just not something that gets talked about a lot. The, the panelists actually said that they think that it, was the first time anybody has done a panel at GDC about disability representation ever. So that's actually, that one's pretty cool. Uh, Any of those animation ones are worth checking out. Those ones are like kind of, they actually give you a pretty good behind the scenes look if you're just curious about how the stuff gets made. And finally, let's see, of the ones I went to here, there was one, that was uh, by Able Gamers, which is a this is another accessibility one. Um, but especially if you're a game developer or interested in game development, it would, had a lot of really interesting, useful stats about like disabilities of players who play games, and sort of like more detail than just like how many people have these disabilities, but also like what kind of games do they play, what kind of issues do they have, like that kind of thing, um, which I thought was really cool. Other than that. 
Yeah, a lot of the other ones were like vaguely interesting, but not stuff that I would like super, super recommend to everybody. <laughs> it's like an anime con. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is it for this episode. Before we head out, David and I are writing for Otaku USA magazine. What's your latest stuff you wrote about, David? Uh, still manga. Always manga. Just list uh, some titles for me. Give me a title. Yeah, uh, I wrote about... At least, I believe the most recent one is Snow White with the Red Hair, Ooh. which is a shoujo manga. Yeah, it got adapted an into an anime. anime. Yeah, Had an anime a little while ago, but now I'm surprised that the manga is coming out so late. Right, right. It looks... <laughs> I feel like they try to make these things kind of come out at the same time, but no, it's coming out uh, pretty soon, in like a month. Well, shoujo gets the short end of the stick over here, right? So yeah, not surprising there. Uh, as for me, my article about Evangelion is out on store shelves right now in Otaku USA magazine. Please check it out. I spent a lot of time on it and I'm pretty happy with it. Unfortunately, we timed it wrong because Netflix announced <laughs> Evangelion is landing in June. <laughs> Oops. We weren't sure Oops. when they were going to actually release it. And uh, I've got AnimeBurgerTime.tumblr.com. AnimeBurgerTime, by the way, coming soon to a convention near you. Probably Fanime Anime Next and Otakon, so look out for it there. And David, you're streaming video games every Saturday night at twitch.tv slash bean. What are you playing? Uh, it's either going to be at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Not decided yet on the hour, which is kind of uh, not great, but still at it's going to be an evening hour. We're playing Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Very topical. We are kind of doing Persona 5 as a break between dying again and again at Sekiro. And sometimes you just need to chill out. We're trying to avoid a heated gamer moment is what we're trying to do. You can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Anigamers Discord and Anigamers.com. We have a Patreon, as we teased multiple times in this yes. episode. <laughs> Support us on patreon.com slash anygamers to get onto the priority question list when we send out a call for questions, which we will try to be a little bit better about. And we're gonna, I might change that to make that a little easier for people to do that kind of in off time in between episodes. And you can also access bonus articles and podcasts, including... Two recent articles I wrote, one of them about game dev unionization, kind of expanding on some of the stuff we talked about here, and one that I did uh, following up on the Battle Angel Alita episode, comparing it to Captain Marvel and uh, finding Battle Angel Alita to be quite a bit better. So you can check that out on the Patreon. That's $5 a month. We'll get you access to that bonus content. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions anytime at podcast at anygamers.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm at sign Vampvo. David is at sign QX20XX. And uh, Anygamers is at sign Anygamers, one word. Or on Mastodon, I am Vampvo at Mastodon.social. And David is, is dead. Dead. I'm deleted. Or I don't know what the hell I am. My instance is down and it's been down for quite a while, maybe a few months now. Uh, no idea what's going on with uh, 20xx at caro.ccsacra.jp, but that's probably never coming back. So I'm in the market for a new Mastodon instance, hopefully one that is a little bit more permanent than this one. Yeah, you know, Mastodon has so many features that Twitter should have, and one of them is just randomly deleting your account for your own mental health. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> uh if only my twitter would do that yeah it's actually like good it's actually kind of one of the best things right. it's just like hey maybe you don't need this bye yeah you know it's like it's like dark souls when you die and you just lo lose all your souls and you have to like go collect them again mm -hmm. yeah and your but souls are your just followers. gone forever yeah right so now yeah. it's like yeah just like start start over yeah, uh, Mastodon is Twitter on permadeath mode. And finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. And we could always use a few more reviews on iTunes to help more people find the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, David, for returning to the cast yes. once again. <laughs> Did not go away forever. I'm back. And we'll see you all again in about two weeks. Bye. Rise up, gamers. Rise down, gamers. Rise down, gamers. Sit down. Sit, sit your ass down, gamers. And listen to some game developers tell you about how they need more money and also to not be fired all the time. Okay. <clears throat> Taking the jacket off now. Oh, yeah, same.
disrobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over <laughs> encumbered. <laughs> you can't move. Or in the case of the Witcher, you move slowly. Yeah. Oh, I thought you can't go run. Morrowind. I thought you were going to yeah. go for Morrowind. It's the 25th anniversary of Morrowind. You know what I used to do in uh, Elder Scrolls games, uh, or what I did in, in Oblivion, is I became a vampire. And then I, I must have talked about this on the show. Uh, as the time goes on when you're a vampire, uh, your all your stats go up, including your yeah. strength, which increases your encumbrance or whatever, the things that you can hold. Yeah. So if I picked up too much stuff in a dungeon, I would just sit there and rest for a couple days so that I would get really <laughs> swole and I could carry it all back. But then I couldn't like do go anywhere in the sunlight, so then I had to like wait until it was night. It was very dumb. It was like a like a vampire hoarder sort of thing going on. Vampire right? hoarders. Like That's I can't a throw any show. Yeah, I can't throw anything away, and, <laughs> and I'm a vampire, right? So I'm just gonna become more of a vampire so I don't have to throw anything away. Yeah, just like a just a more than 100 empty boxes of wheat thins. You never know yeah. when you're going to need the cardboard. <laughs> Each of them is uh, like, you know, <laughs> 0.1 pounds or whatever. Like the, the stat that they've got, right? The lowest possible stat because they never <laughs> exactly. went past like the 100 But they add decimal. up, you know? They yeah. add up. That's why you, you got to sell all that, all that shit you pick up in the dungeons. All the wheat thins boxes that you find when you're dungeon crawling. <laughs>